You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. Let me stop you right there. This will always be a pro-Cam Newton show. Opinionated. Hey, Tatum is phenomenal, but the end-of-game execution in the NBA is just laughable. To the point. I'm already tired of this storyline. This guy's a future Patriot. This quarterback's a future Patriot. That quarterback's a future Patriot. Are we really going to link everybody to the Pats all offseason? Because I, I have zero interest in that. Thank you. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on a Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Hard to believe that next week is Super Bowl week. Seriously, there were times where we didn't think we'd get through the season, and here we are on the eaves of Super Bowl week. It's uh, pretty amazing that they got this far. It was not without controversy. It was not without difficulty. It was not without a bit of a dent in competitive integrity. When you look at guys that had to miss key games, especially when you talk about Baltimore, Pittsburgh had their schedule adjusted multiple times. Tennessee had some issues. So it wasn't easy, but we are... We are coming up on Super Bowl week, and that is uh, quite an accomplishment. We've got a ton to get to today. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus is going to be with us in about 10 minutes. Thought on the state of Vermont high school sports. Twitter has been yelling at me all day, so we'll get into that at about 630. Um, It's very, very weird, by the way, to not have football this weekend. It's the first weekend since, since September we haven't had football. Like, I don't know what exactly to do with myself. With that, Like, what am I going to do on Sunday? I don't even know what I'm going to do on Saturday. I'm going to watch the Celtics and the Lakers tomorrow night. That's the marquee game on ABC. Am I going to watch Saturday Night Live? I, don't, I haven't watched Saturday Night Live, by the way, in years. If it's not like their political sketches, I'm not much of a Saturday Night Live guy anyways. I used to watch the best of Will Ferrell all the time, though. Like the best of Will Ferrell from Saturday Night Live, I used to watch, and there was, you know, him and Jimmy Fallon together, and him, and you know the, you know everybody knows the more cowbell, underrated by the way, the Fred Slacks skit. Go find Will Ferrell, Fred Slacks. That's a good one. But see, that's how long it goes for me to have watched Saturday Night Live with any kind of regularity. I I don't I literally do not know what to do with myself when there's a weekend without football to watch, digest, talk about, and think about. So. I'm I'm ready for next week already, so that way we have football to look forward to. Um, I want to remind everybody, though, about the announcement we made yesterday. Next week, in honor of Super Bowl week, we are launching what we are calling Radio Row at Home. Radio Row at Home. We're going to be putting on our own version of Radio Row. There, radio, there is no Radio Row. There is no Super Bowl Media Week traditionally, or uh, you know, as there is traditionally in Tampa because of the pandemic. So we are bringing Super Bowl Media Week to you, and we are pumped to do so. We are going to bring in a ton of big names from a ton of different sectors, sports and otherwise, and um, some names you know, some names you don't. We're just going to get after it. We've got a 90-minute show, so we're going to bring on more guests than usual. We're going to put some guests on 
the exclusive podcast channel. So subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can always text in on the show, by the way, at 802-585-3026. Matt from Richmond does so now and says, Brady, I'm pumped to see that you're bringing Radio Row to WDEV. Any idea on some of the names coming yet? Well, Matt, everything is fluid. We're working on things even ASAP as we go. But I can tell you, Monday, Galen Carr is coming on. He's the vice president of player personnel for the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers. He's going to join us on Monday. Former UVM hockey great and NHL veteran Tori Mitchell is going to stop by. Ryan Rossillo is going to be in. Doug Flutie's coming on next week. So uh, there's going to be a lot of great guests that we're looking forward to bringing you all week long next week. So again, show the text line is open 802 585 3026. Crew, let's get to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online at sticksandstuff.com. A question I was thinking about today. Would I rather go all in on Deshaun Watson if I were the Patriots? If I were the Patriots, would you rather go all in on Deshaun Watson or give up one singular first-round pick for Matthew Stafford. Wow, what a question that is. I would rather go with Stafford. I just can't pull the trigger on it with Watson. With Watson, we're talking probably four first-round picks, and that just seems like too much. I know that Watson is a better player. I know that Watson is younger. I know that Watson is signed for longer in his deal. All of those factors point me that it should be Watson. But I have to go with Stafford because I cannot give up what it would take to get Deshaun Watson. And it's crazy. I just gave you reasons why Watson's better. Watson probably, no, not probably, Watson definitely brings you closer to a Super Bowl championship than Matt Stafford does. But I I just can't pull the trigger on the deal that it would be. I mean, four, I mean, Ian Rappaport said a while ago, five first round picks is maybe what it's going to take. I, I do three. I can't do four. I can't do five. I can't mortgage it all like that. I just can't bring myself to do it. I have to trust that if the Patriots are going to make a trade for one of those two players, if they're going to make a trade in this case for Matthew Stafford, I just have to trust that with Bill Belichick and his ability to aid defense, my team is going to be good enough, even with a lesser quarterback, which I know Stafford is. If I have Bill Belichick, I will have at least a decent enough defense that above-average quarterback play should be enough for me to be competitive. And if it only costs me one first-round pick for Matthew Stafford, then I would rather do that than four or five for Deshaun Watson. There are teams that need to swing big and mortgage everything. The Jets would be one of them. They've been bad forever. The Patriots haven't been bad forever. I've got to think that with above-average quarterback play, which Stafford could give me, with great head coaching that can help my defense, which Belichick can give me, I've got to think that those two things combined make the Patriots a contender. And if I only have to give up one first-round pick to be a contender, I'd rather do that. 
I just don't want to give up the amount of capital and money it would take for Deshaun Watson. Draft capital and money. At least with Stafford, I'm thinking one first-round pick, and he's a lot more affordable. And I think with Belichick, I can keep the team pretty darn competitive. I keep more cap space with, with Stafford. I can go get weapons. I keep my picks to go get more weapons as well. Because I keep my picks, I keep myself a chance to still draft a quarterback and develop for the future. It just feels like for me, Stafford is the more is is the easier thing to swallow. I just can't do it. I just can't give up four first round picks. I think the question that I'm wrestling with though is how valuable are draft picks really? Because I value them like gold. Giving up one even pains me. Giving up four, I'm just ready to I'm I'm just it's gonna send me into a cold sweat. But how valuable are draft picks really? Because I value them like gold and I don't know, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I've got a backwards view of this thing. I'm t- I would rather go with Stafford, a lesser player, to keep my draft picks. I'm going to ask Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus who's going to be with us in a couple of minutes. Am I doing this wrong? Are draft picks have I been conditioned wrong my entire life? Are draft picks not worth as much as I think they are? I mean, I've been conditioned my whole life by sports executives to believe in things like cost effectiveness and that the best way to build is through the draft. And it's hard to do that when you don't have any high picks, which is what the Patriots would have to give up for Deshaun Watson. I do believe Stafford and keeping my picks is the right play, but I am wondering, am I I doing this wrong? We'll see what Eric Eager thinks. We'll see what the analytics people think. For what it's worth, Bill Barnwell of ESPN, he thinks that the Pats are in on Watson. I, I don't get a sense that they're an organization that is sitting here thinking, okay, we're going to draft a quarterback in the first round, develop him for three years, and in 2024, we'll be ready to compete for a championship. I think they want to compete for a championship next season. And to me, I, you know, I, this isn't a trade they've made in the past. They haven't gone all in for a player like this in the past. But if you're ever going to make that move, Deshaun Watson right now would be the guy you'd make that move for. What Barnwell says there uh, continues to feed my kind of reckoning that's going on inside me. It continues to, to, I continue to wonder why do I value draft picks so much? Should I not? And the reason is because he's right. The Patriots should be trying to get back into the Super Bowl conversation. They have a limited window with Bill Belichick. He's almost 70 years old. If you want to win the Super Bowl with him, you probably should be willing to mortgage the future. But I'm just not willing. And I don't know why. I want to sit here and tell you, go after Deshaun Watson. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I want to tell you to throw the bag at him. But I just can't in good conscience do it. Yes, I am scared to give up that much draft capital. I am scared to pay him at the very top of the market when I have no draft capital. It's just going to end up being the same situation as Houston, but with a better head coach. It's Watson and not a lot of help. I don't have the money, and I don't have any draft picks. That's what Watson's trying to get away from, not trying to rush to. So if I'm the Patriots and I can keep my picks and get Stafford, I think I got a chance, and I'm willing. That that's a deal I'm willing to make. It's hard for me to justify going after Deshaun Watson under those circumstances. We'll see what Eric Eager thinks. Am I crazy? Are draft picks not that valuable? Should I be willing to pull the trigger 
Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. He's coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Football is a complicated game. It's full of plays. John! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot route! I don't. What is hot route? And numbers and statistics. So how do we even understand the game? <laughs> it's our weekly conversation with Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Weird that there's no football games to preview for the upcoming weekend, but we got a pretty big one coming just a, you know, a week and change from now as the Super Bowl features Tom Brady yet again. So to help break down everything in the NFL with us is our guy Eric Eager over at Pro Football Focus. You can check him out at PFF.com. Eric, will you be watching NFL players play Madden at the simulated Pro Bowl this weekend? I don't think so. I'm a big enough degenerate to bet on the Senior Bowl, but I don't think I'm a big enough uh, one to watch NFL players play Madden. So that's kind of like where the bar is set, I think. You know, I, I want to do a lot of Patriot stuff and a lot of stuff on the quarterback um, carousel that looks like it's going to be spinning. So let me ask you a couple of various questions here. Give up a whole lot for Deshaun Watson or give up one first-round pick for Matthew Stafford? What's the better play for the Patriots? Uh, well, given where the Patriots pick, I think it's it's the the all the number ones for Watson. Um, you know, I, I think that you know the 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 hard part becomes you know more of a question for the other teams. You know, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Jets, uh, you know, the Dolphins. Should they give up the third pick when there's a cost control quarterback who might be very good uh, on the other end of it? when it's, you know, the Patriots and they're picking outside, I believe outside the top 10, yeah. um, it's not as, as, you know, I don't think it's as onerous, honestly. And the, and the, and the quarterback that they're going to end up getting, I mean, look, Stafford's been a player that, you know, you look on Twitter and everybody's essentially making excuses for him. He didn't have a good defense. He didn't have good receivers. He didn't have good offensive line, all that kind of stuff. And most of that is true. But how much of those things would be different if New England sent a first-round pick over to Detroit uh, to acquire him, uh, you know, in over the next year or so? How valuable are draft picks in the NFL? Because I've been conditioned my whole life to think that draft picks were like gold, and I would rather give up one rather than give up four. So I am on the on the Stafford train right now because of just what it would take to get Watson, even though Watson I know is better. How valuable are draft picks? Uh, they're very. I mean, a quarterback picked in the top, in the at the top pick averages about four wins over the course of the first four or five years uh, of their deal. Watson last season was worth four wins himself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and, and it was the highest percentage of his own team's wins that we've ever seen uh, since building the metric. I, I think for almost every single quarterback, uh, the draft picks are probably more important because they're cost control, uh, and you know, obviously, they if they hit. You get a huge bang for your buck. I think that there are a few players in the NFL, Mahomes, Watson, um, who I think are worth that money and and that capital. The, you know, I, I always bring it back to like, what's the limit? Like, would you trade, um, you know, let's say, would you trade Baker Mayfield and a first round pick for Deshaun Watson? Like that to me, that that sort of shows, I you know, how much is that first round pick really worth? Because I think with somebody like Mayfield or in Stafford in this instance the the averages aren't all that different but what watson can provide you at the tails which is you know uh you know 
kind of what Mahomes has offered the Chiefs over the past three years, I mean, that's immensely valuable. So, you know, I, I, when when talking about what the Patriots should do, really, I think central on the discussion is what is their, um, you know, what is their hope for the next, you know, two years? Is it to get back off the ground and to get back into the playoffs or is it to compete with championships for championships with, you know, teams like Miami, teams like Buffalo? You know, they're in different situations. Watson has a no trade clause. Stafford does not. But I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, in Stafford's case specifically, he should be more weary of the Patriots than the Patriots should be weary of him. How do you think available quarterbacks view New England right now? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily as highly maybe as as they might have previously. Obviously, with, you know, the um, you know, the reputation that Bill Belichick and his staff have garnered, um, I think both good and bad. I mean, we've seen, you know, obviously the the championships you can't argue with, but you've also seen players like Reggie Wayne and players like, you know, Joey Galloway and Albert Hainsworth. And, you know, you've had various numbers of veteran players. Ocho Cinco played, yeah. played in the Super Bowl, but it wasn't exactly the, the his most successful, uh, you know, career uh, season. So, that that's kind of where I would say, you know, a veteran player, uh, Belichick's very hardlined about things, right? And and I think his process works. But if you're a player at the tail end of your career, you might want to dictate things more, and that might not be necessarily uh, what a player like Stafford wants to get out of the second stanza of his career. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. You can check him out at PFF.com. He's been with us every single Friday through you know the existence of this show and he's going to be with us for a couple Fridays more here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So we just did, okay, what's better from a from a cost-effective standpoint? All in for Watson or less in for Stafford? Now let's go even further down. Can you get 75% of Matthew Stafford's productivity in just signing Ryan Fitzpatrick and keeping your draft pick? I I got to think he kind of <laughs> 75%? Yeah, I think you can. Is that <laughs> a better play? Especially when you put – well, I think so. I mean, to me, I think Stafford is a player who is more suited for a place like Indianapolis or yeah. San Francisco, a place where you sort of have a ready-made situation for a quarterback. New England's got great cap space. They have a great coach. Um, I think Josh McDaniel's fine as an offense coordinator, but it's not a ready-made place for a quarterback. There's going to be a lot of adjustments, as we saw with Cam Newton this year where, you know, a previously good quarterback might falter. And and the question is, is do you want to upend some of the, the process that you're putting in place uh, to, you know, sort of make that situation possible for him? Uh, in my opinion, I think that's always been Fitzpatrick's hook is that he's been a player that you can sort of have and he can play well and, you know, not upend any of your process. Um, you know, and, and we saw it in Miami. Like he – the very good foot soldier for them. And even in the year where they, you know, theoretically were tanking, he played extremely well. Yeah. You know, I've had this conversation. I used to do the podcast with Doug Flutie. Fitzpatrick is the modern day Flutie. He's just the, the constant stopgap guy. And you can always put him in and know it's going to be okay. Like, so he does remind me of today's version of Doug Flutie. Yeah. I mean, Flutie, I think is a little bit better than that. Right. In that, like, Flutie only lost his job in Buffalo because the owner was being an idiot, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the, the Rob Johnson, you know, shouldn't have started over him in the first place and shouldn't have started over him in the second place, you right. know, in right. Buffalo. 
Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, everybody always viewed Flutie as a as a transient player because of his size. And, you know, I think people view Fitzpatrick as a transient player because of his playing style and his previous, um, you know, lack of success in the NFL is maybe the right way to put it. Um, you know, this this season and, and I think his season with the Jets were the only two seasons where he played a significant number of the games and and won more than nine or ten games. So, uh, he, you know, and I think that that trails with the player, it, that in addition to his draft stock and so on. And I think you saw a little bit of that with Flutie, right? The Bears shoved him in too early. Yep. Um, and, and then New England was just kind of a disaster back in the late 80s, early 90s. So he was sort of... Um, you know, not necessarily given a great start. And, I, you know, as much as we hate to see it, um, you know, uh, starting conditions matter and first impressions matter. But, yeah, I think I always think of Flutie more highly uh, than that. But but you're right. I mean, it is one of those where there's always this perception of a player that sort of drags along with them. You know, let me ask you this. A guy Flutie played with, and that's Drew Brees in New Orleans. I think we can all sit here and say that Drew Brees – doesn't look the same as he used to. But I also wonder, they did get the number two seed in the NFC. So if you're going to get rid of Drew Brees or want him to be gone, you better be sure that this next guy can take you over. Like, should should Saints fans be careful what they're wishing for and wanting Drew Brees out? Is there somebody out there that can guarantee get them over the hump? Well, I I don't think that there's a plausible way for them to get over the hump anymore. You know, like if you if you look at the and I I, I do a radio show with another great 90s quarterback, Bobby Hebert, uh, who used to play for for the Saints and the Falcons. And, you know, he kind of got you know, he kind of got a little bit pushed back by this. But essentially, in my opinion, if you know, what are the Saints really going to do? I mean, they they have their 100 million over the cap. Uh, You know, their their strength as a team was not. Their strength as a team is different than Kansas City's. It's different than Green Bay's. It's different than Tampa's. Their strength as a team was their whole team. You know, the the defense went too deep in a lot of important spots. Uh, the offense had, you know, I don't think the offense had the playmakers necessarily to be all that good, and that's why yeah, I think they fell eventually. Um, but you start, you put Breeze back in there, and you have to cut half that defense or you have to cut half that offensive line, or you have to take away some of the weapons. And I think breeze, while he's a hall of fame quarterback, probably on the first ballot, like, I just don't think he can support that type of team anymore. Uh, if they're, you know, and, and even, I don't even think he could five years ago when they were seven and nine, all those years with a bad defense and, you know, middling support pre Michael Thomas. So I, you know, I think it's just time for them to move on. And I also think, you know, as smart as Peyton is, I think that's why they didn't play Jameis this year. Because I think they're going to want to go into next season with Jameis making about the same amount of money as he made this year. And that being sort of their number one draft pick. I'll get you out of here on this. Um, I am not a fan of drafting Mac Jones for the Patriots in the first round. If he was there in the second or the fourth, then, you know, I'd be fine with it. But the first round, I don't want Mac Jones should anything he's doing right now in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, um, even if he doesn't play in the game, should anything he's doing matter to me enough to change my mind? I, maybe. I mean, I think the 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 thing with Mac Jones is known. I mean, we saw on his first read, he had like a the best PFF grade in college football last year. On his second read or deeper, it was like twenty fifth. Mm. So you're you're talking about a guy who needs a good scheme, but there are tons of quarterbacks like that, and you know, in the bottom half. Like let's say the 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 uh, Patriots traded back into the twenties, um, 
which they've been wanting to do before. And they take him at like 25. He's making like, you know, three, $4 million a year. That's a pretty good bargain. Uh, yep. And, and, you know, that's, that's something where you have cost control. You have the fifth year option. You have all these things. And if he ends up being good and he ends up, you know, uh, yeah, it's worth it, right? Because a, a good quarterback is worth anywhere from two wins to two and a half wins during the course of a season. And no other player is going to get you that uh, in, in any other position. So to me, I think that's maybe what the Patriots have to do. And, you know, it was really smart of them last year to trade back in the first round with the Chargers and to accumulate picks um, because that means, you know, and then accumulate the the salary cap space that they did because then they could put players around him. But I, I don't I don't hate the pick. I hate it in the top half of the first round though. I, I think you have to sort of trade back and and take him in the twenties for him to have value. Okay. I don't think I would hate that. I don't because we're gonna hear a lot about Mac Jones and the Patriots. I don't think I'd hate it in the low twenties as much as I would at 15. Eric Eager, pro football focus. You can check him out pff.com. You want to get ready for the Super Bowl, whether it's from a gambling angle, just from a game angle, uh you want to figure out, you know, what your team's going to do in the offseason, that pff.com is the ultimate resource to go to. Eric, man, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week as we'll be on the eaves of the Super Bowl. I can't wait. Uh, thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait. The, that, the Super Bowl will be a great game. And, and you know, for Pats fans, I'm not sure what the emotions are with Brady, but it'll be interesting to see how he, how he fares here. Well, well, we're trying to figure out what the emotions are for Brady. So maybe by next week, I'll have the answer. So Eric, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, we will. Eric, uh, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, with us every single Friday. Tomorrow, or uh, next Friday, will be our last Friday as we're getting ready for Super Bowl 55. So Eric thinks, yes, you should trade it all for Deshaun Watson. He says draft picks are valuable, but it sounds like they're more valuable to the acquiring team in this case and not so much to the Patriots. And he does make a good point that if the Patriots get good, you know, they're picking at the back half of the first round. Well, not even back half, back third of the first round, you know, in the 23 to 32 range. They're not as valuable. But for me, I just, I look at a Patriots team that was so devoid of talent and so devoid of young talent that I don't want to give up four years worth of getting young talent or three years worth of getting young talent. Three, I do. I, I don't want to go in the four range. I don't want to give up four firsts and, you know, you know, three firsts and but I just I don't want to do it. A team that it, the team needs young, cheap talent, and they need talent that's good. And you can't find those combination of things if you're trading it all for Deshaun Watson. And remember, we spent yesterday talking about how to Stafford view New England. Well, it's also important how Watson views New England because Watson does have a no trade clause, and I think Watson would view New England significantly worse than Stafford would, okay? Watson, remember, is mad. He didn't get a voice in Houston. He wasn't part of the process with the Houston Texans and finding Nick Casario or the new head coach. Well, there's no place that you get less of a voice than with the New England Patriots. There is no place more in the NFL where you are just joining the rank and file than in New England. So if Deshaun Watson, what he's searching for is a place where his voice is valued and he gets input, New England is not that place. I think Stafford is much more okay with coming to New England than Watson is. And remember, Stafford hasn't been to the playoffs in like four years or so. I mean, yeah, it's like it's like four years. He hasn't been to the playoffs in four years. So I think just having a chance for a seat at the table is good for him. Watson... He was in the playoffs a bunch early on in his career. He, I think he has different expectations. So 
I think he wants to go somewhere where he thinks he can win right away, and New England might not be that place if they invest all the money and all the draft capital on him. Thanks to Eric Eager. We'll come back right after the top of the news or top of the hour news update from CBS News on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Thank you, Field. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Reminder to subscribe to the full show podcast. Just search for it, Brady Farkas Show, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. All thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. We'll get to our Eric Eager takeaways in uh, just a couple of minutes, but I want to remind everybody that next week, Radio Row at Home. Radio Row at Home. So I am not going to Tampa Bay. There is no formal Radio Row this year there because of the pandemic. So what we are doing, we are bringing that Super Bowl week feel to you right here from our WDEV studios. We are going to bring on huge guests from all sectors. I am very, very excited about this. We are working the phones. We are already booking guests left and right. So next week is going to be different. Okay, We have a 90-minute show. We're not going to be able to play guests for all 90 minutes. So we'll still do our normal show. We'll have our normal crop of insiders, you know, Adam Kaufman, Tom Brennan, et cetera, Eric Eager. But we're gonna, we're gonna, we are going to stack more guests into the show next week, and we'll also just put some guests on our podcast channel only. So, if you follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you're going to have an opportunity to get those exclusive interviews. Not all of which will make the show, and they're going to be great names there too. So, you know, get who we're going to put on the show is going to be it's going to be crazy trying to figure that out. It's going to be a lot of fun, and can't wait to share it with you. Again, Ryan Rosillo's in next week. Doug Flutie is going to be on next week, and that's just the the very, very beginning of it. All right, I want to get to the Patriots quarterback situation in a second, but the staff was giving me just a brutal time here about my Saturday Night Live take at the beginning of the show. So I said at the beginning of the show, I don't really watch Saturday Night Live, and I don't know. Saturday Night Live, when they're doing politics and presidential stuff, they're hilarious, but... I just don't watch it too much on a regular Saturday, but I had said with no NFL, I may have to start watching Saturday Night Live tomorrow just to have something to watch because it just, you know, there's no college football. I can't watch the NFL Network to prep for a game, you know, for a slate of games on Saturday, so I need something to watch. So then we started talking about old Saturday Night Live stuff, and I mentioned I was a big fan of Will Ferrell, and now the staff and other people are giving me their go-to Will Ferrell skits. So I mentioned I liked him with, you know, Cowbell and... Um, uh, Fred Slacks, where he wanted to write a hit song and it was terrible. That was great. Stuff he did with Jimmy Fallon, where he's carrying the little tiny cell phone, things like that, kind of looked like Zoolander. Then I get people messaging in here. I get my buddy in here, uh, Sam from Rochester, New York, who's listening, who says, Brady, don't forget about the classic voice modulation one, which is it was Will Ferrell and Tina Fey, where Will, Will Ferrell said he had a condition that caused him to speak louder than everybody else. Let's see here. Uh, here we go. Dare you? I have a rela- voice-related medical condition. Oh, I'm very sorry. I, I suffer from voice immodulation, Tina. I'm unable to control the pitch or volume of my voice, also known as Van Orten syndrome, 
VI is a recognized psychomedical condition that you may have read about. So, there you go. Now people are sending me their favorite Saturday Night Live skits. I got Keenan Thompson skits coming in. I got, uh, we're going all the way back now to Eddie Murphy, people getting in on the text line. But Sam from Rochester telling me about the voice, the uh, Will Ferrell one. That was one I could find easily. So, uh, there you go. So, yeah, maybe I'll just be watching Saturday Night Live tomorrow. I have no idea. Lakers Celtics on one TV, Saturday Night Live on the other. I'm not quite sure. All right, back to the Patriots quarterback conundrum. And let's get the text going back in the sports direction. I, you know what? I don't care what you text about. Text about text about whatever you want to. So 802-585-3026. 802-585-3026. I want to thank my guy, friend of the show, Will Farrell. Will Farrell. Now, now you all got me screwed up, friend of the show, Will Farrell. Friend of the show, Phil Perry. Not Will, but Phil. Phil Perry, Patriots Insider, NBC Sports Boston. He's been saying for he's been saying he said yesterday what I've been saying for weeks about the Patriots quarterback situation. Listen to Phil Perry talk about Pat's quarterbacks. He's maybe the only quarterback in the league who can succeed in the pocket to the level he's succeeded at this point. And he's doing it because he understands what he's looking at. And so I wrote something last week about how if you're looking for the next Tom Brady, you're wasting your time because you're not going to find somebody who has the 20 year backlog of information, Mm -hmm. be able to dissect the way he does. So you have to look for something different. If you're the Patriots to kind of bring it back to them in terms of an athlete. There you go. Okay. He started out saying Tom Brady is successful in the pocket more than anybody else because he's got a 20 year backlog of information. So if you're looking for the next Tom Brady, stop, because you're not going to find someone with that catalog of knowledge. So, if you're not going to have somebody who has as much experience diagnosing things as Brady, you need to get a quarterback who's athletic. Thank you. I love when smart people reaffirm what I've been saying all along. This is what you need to know about why the Patriots shouldn't take Mac Jones at pick number 15 in the draft. Mac Jones has a lot of good traits. He's smart. He played for Saban. He's played in a winning culture. He's accurate. Yada, yada, yada. He's not athletic enough to be the quarterback the Patriots take at number 15 in the draft. Doug Flutie, on our podcast a couple weeks ago, no, this is months ago, this is December 2nd, Flutie told me that being an athlete helps a young quarterback. Here was Flutie. I think it really helps when you come in and be an athlete. That just makes things simpler to be successful. You can do the zone read stuff. The quarterback run stuff is such a – a variable for defenses. They have to account for you as a runner and it creates all kinds of headaches. So you can be successful right away without the total knowledge of changing pass protections, Mike calls in the run game and uh, reading coverages out and progression reads front side, the backside, all that stuff. Okay. So Flutie tells you being an athlete is important. Why? He goes on to say many, you know, many things in there that are right. Young quarterbacks come in. And they're expected to win games right away. This is no longer we can just come in and go 2-14 and 14 and gain experience. This is also no longer we can come and sit for three years and learn, you know, learn, from the, you know, learn from the sideline. You're expected to play, play early, and play well, and win. So when quarterbacks come in, they're not finished products. As Flutie says, you don't have experience diagnosing coverages, recognizing blitz packages, understanding progressions, etc. That is all hard. That is stuff you are going to learn on the job as you go. 
So if you are going to, let's just say you have 65% of the knowledge you need to have, you need to have something to fall back on. That something to fall back on is pure athleticism. It's what worked early for Deshaun Watson. It's what worked early for Russell Wilson. It's what worked early for Lamar Jackson and still works. It's the only thing that works early for uh, Josh Allen. It took until this year for Josh Allen to be a good thrower. The only thing he had his first couple of years in the league was just being a good athlete. That's it. You need something to fall back on. Brady, Breeze, Rivers, Peyton Manning, Eli, they got away, Matt Ryan, they get away with not being athletic because they have so much experience. They have gained so much knowledge. Mac Jones isn't going to have that kind of knowledge, Is it, doesn't have that experience. So if the Pats take him at 15, they don't have a lot of talent around him. He doesn't have the requisite experience to sit back in the pocket and diagnose everything, and he doesn't have the athleticism to fall back on. I'm out on him. You need an athlete at this point. Obviously, you have to be able to throw. I can't just stick an athletic running back back there. But you've got to be able to be enough of a dual threat where you've got some wiggle to you and the ability to get out. Joe Burrow can do it. Daniel Jones can do it. These young quarterbacks that come in can extend plays and and keep plays going and get guys open. Mac Jones would not do that for the New England Patriots, okay? I mean, what's the knock right now on Tua? That he's not athletic enough. That he's not special. Dolphins players have noticed it. They've said it to the papers. Tua has all the same things you're telling me are great about Jones. Winning pedigree, winning program, played for Saban, accurate arm, but he doesn't have the athleticism to to succeed early in his career. It's the same thing on Mac Jones, and we think that, that, that Tua is better than Jones. To me, Mac Jones right now is Kirk Cousins' light, and Kirk Cousins is fine when everything around him is great. The Patriots don't have everything around him being great. So Mac Jones coming here would be awful. And Colin Cowherd, Fox Sports Radio, agrees. Mac Jones throws to better players at Alabama than he would in New England. And it's not even close. Alabama's wide receiving core is better at every spot than New England's. And Alabama is so much more dominant than the Patriots, that at least early, you know, like their offensive line, they're running, everything Bama does is more dominant than their opponents. They're starting from a position of massive strength. The Patriots wouldn't do that. You need an athlete that can overcome warts. Mac Jones isn't that guy. I'm out on him at number 15. Getting to our Eric Eager takeaways, though, he did say something that was very interesting. I'm out on Mac Jones at 15. Well, what if the Patriots were to trade back? Would I be in then? To me, I think that's maybe what the Patriots have to do. And, you know, it was really smart of them last year to trade back in the first round with the Chargers and to accumulate picks um, because that means, you know, and then accumulate the the salary cap space that they did because then they could put players around them. But I, I don't I don't hate the pick. I hate it in the top half of the first round, though. I, I think you have to sort of trade back and, mm. and take him in the 20s for him to have value. When Eric said that, he had me thinking. 
But in the last 20 minutes since Eric Eager said that about the idea of trading back and still taking Mac Jones, I keep coming to my conclusion. I don't want him in the first round. Second round, third round, sure, I'll take a flyer, but I don't want Mac Jones in the first round. There are really good quarterbacks. Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, okay? Quarterbacks that are good, but they don't have athleticism, and they're getting phased out. Matt Ryan, they might move off of. Even Matthew Stafford, the Lions are ready to move off of. These quarterbacks that don't have a ton of athleticism, their teams are ready to move on from. I'm not rushing to take that in the first round. The league is moving in a different direction. You can be a pocket quarterback when you have acquired all the knowledge needed. When you know the answers to the tests, then you can sit in the pocket. Mac Jones is not going to the, know the answers to the tests right now. No quarterback that comes in is going to know the answers to the tests. So I'm, I, I'm not interested in Mac Jones at all in the first round. I mean, you know, I've seen Stidham, you know, a pocket guy, not be able to do anything. And he's even more, a little more athletic than Jones, and he can't do anything. I'm, I'm out on quarterbacks like that. Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo was getting phased out. A guy who's more athletic than Mac Jones. You need that special athletic quality. Again, when you have all the experience, you can be more of a pocket guy. And even those guys, like I said, are getting phased out. You need those, you need that athleticism. That's who the Patriots should be looking at. 802-585-3026. Um, Eric Eager also gave us a very interesting stat on Mac Jones. Listen to this. I mean, we saw it on his first read, he had like a the best PFF grade in college football last year. On his second read or deeper, it was like 25th. Mm. So you're you're talking about a guy who needs a good scheme. Very interesting. He says specifically that Mac Jones is really good on his first read and he's really bad moving off of that. Not really bad, but he's way down the list. Even with all that talent around him, he's way down the list when he gets off that first read. What does that tell me? He's not a second reaction player. He's not a second reaction player. You need guys with that athleticism in the NFL who are second reaction players. In the NFL, it doesn't work perfectly on the first time every time. You don't get six seconds to sit in the pocket and bounce and, okay, I'm looking left, now I'm looking middle, now I'm looking right, go. You don't get that in the NFL. You've got to be, oh, the first look's not there, now I'm breaking containment. Now I'm out. I'm stepping up in the pocket, I'm moving right, or I'm moving left. You need to be able to move. And Mac Jones doesn't do that at a level that I'm interested in in the first round. We're going to hear a lot about how he had a great senior bowl week and he may play in the game and he may, I'm not interested, not in the first round. If he came to the Pats and, you know, subsequently later in the draft, then okay, I take a shot. But first round, I need special and Mac Jones just doesn't do it for me. Text line open 802-585-3026. John from White River Junction Brady, you've talked a lot about Matthew Stafford and Ryan Fitzpatrick. They aren't mobile, so why are you contradicting yourself? I am not contradicting myself at all. Like I said, Stafford, Fitzpatrick, they have a decade in the league. They have the experience 
to know what they are seeing pre-snap and to know what they are seeing post-snap. They don't need that stuff as much. Again, Russell Wilson doesn't want to run as much as he needs to. He doesn't need to run. You know, In his own mind, he could sit back there and throw from the pocket all the time. He knows what he's seeing. The offensive line breaks down to the point where he can't, but he knows what he's doing. Matt Ryan knows what he's seeing pre- and post-snap. He doesn't need – Aaron Rodgers can extend plays, but he doesn't need to run. He doesn't need all the second reaction plays because he knows what he's looking at. When you have that experience, you don't need that stuff as much. But you need that athleticism to fall back on while you are learning. It used to be, we're going to sit you for three years, and you're going to hold a clipboard, and you're going to watch the games, and you're going to see the film, and you're going to do practice, and you're going to meet with the coordinator, and you're never going to have any pressure. You're able to learn in the background. Now it is on the job training. You're going to come in knowing 60% of what you need to. And the other 40, you're going to figure out as you go. But when that first read isn't there and you're not quite sure what's happening, the ability to run or take off is very important. The other thing is, think about the teams that take quarterbacks in the first round. Chances are they're teams that are bad, for by and large. So teams that are bad don't have great offensive lines, don't have receivers that can get open. It is easier to find a quarterback who can move and help a bad offensive line or can move and help a bad wide receiver group. It's easier to find that guy than it is five offensive linemen who can block and allow you to just sit in the pocket. Okay, Dak Prescott early in his career was given the benefit of the best offensive line he in the league. He was able to be more of a pocket passer early in his career. And the line could cover for anything he didn't quite know. The Patriots they don't have they have a decent line. They might lose Joe Tooney. They might lose David Andrews. Isaiah Wynn's never healthy. They don't have a good wide receiver group right now. So that quarterback that can be mobile and extend plays would be able to help them if he's young. And if it's Stafford back there, then he knows what he's looking at, and that will help cover up those warts. So I'm not trying to contradict myself, everybody. I'm trying to tell you that a young quarterback needs to be mobile. If they get Stafford, his mind can account for some of the talent deficiencies around him. All right, we do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what on the Brady Farkas Show. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I think Julian Edelman is cashed. I think he's done. I, I think we're done seeing him as the Julian Edelman that we know and love. They really said that? The Patriots right now, they are the Jets. They have no quarterback play. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Colin Cowherd, national radio host, Fox Sports Radio, was talking with Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston. Colin says the Patriots dynasty was very boring. There are dynasties. Shaq and Kobe was electric. Um, Alabama's boring. I mean, it's really gotten better because it's more receiver-led now than defense. But I think we're all waiting for somebody to catapult mm-hmm. above. The USC dynasty was magical. Um you know, the 49ers dynasty it was Jerry Rice in Montana and crazy play calling. The Patriots, like, mastered the math equation. They just, mm-hmm. they always, they had the perfect, they were Greg Maddox. They just, they just painted the corners. 
I completely agree with Colin here. Completely agree. It's not just, you know, people didn't hate the Patriots, not just because they won. It's how they won. They weren't fun to watch. They weren't loud. They weren't brash. They didn't even talk, really. They didn't celebrate. They just went about their business, and there was no pizzazz to them. And that is okay, right? Like, it was efficient. It was efficient. They won. They got rings. So that is fine. It worked for them, and history is going to remember them fondly. But from the fan perspective, they were very boring. They were not fun to watch. I'd also argue, though, the reason they were able to be so successful is because they were so boring. Okay, Teams with a lot of personality who are more fun, they're often far more volatile, and they tend to break up quickly because it fizzles out. Think about a relationship that has a whole lot of passion early. Doesn't always last. Why? Because once that passion burns out, what are you really left with? That's what happens to these teams that are here today and gone tomorrow. Man, they don't even really turn into dynasties. I mean, the Golden State Warriors broke up because of ego. They were great, but they broke up because of ego. Kevin Durant couldn't handle being second fiddle to Steph Curry. So he left, and that's fine. I think they won, what, three titles in four years, everybody? I think so. Three titles in four years. They break up because the egos couldn't coexist together. There was a vol- there was a team that was a lot of fun to watch, had a lot of pizzazz, a lot of flash. It burned out quickly. It's still a dynasty because of what they accomplished, but it burned out quickly. It was more fun to watch, and then it was gone. That Seahawks team we thought could be a dynasty, it broke apart quickly because all the personalities combusted. Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, uh, you know, uh, man, Percy Harvin, Golden Tate. They weren't even there after the first Super Bowl, but... It just it broke apart because everybody, you know, wanted theirs and had to get their voice in. In the NFL, money often breaks apart a team. It's not always ego. Ego was part of it in Seattle. Money was a huge part of it also. We'll see what happens with the Chiefs. They won't be able to be this fun forever. They can't keep Tyreek Hill. They can't keep Travis Kelsey. They can't keep Patrick Mahomes. They can't keep everybody that's made the team look like this. So I agree. The Patriots' dynasty was boring to watch, but because it was so efficient and so methodical, it never had those problems of ego. Because Brady was willing to take less, it didn't even have the huge money problems that other teams run into. I mean, so it really isn't a wonder that these teams just flame out and become one-hit wonders. You know, the Patriots kind of remind me of the New York Yankees and their dynasty. They were The Yankees' dynasty was boring. Jeter, you know, yeah, he's got the flash off the field, but doesn't say much on the field. Not not much drama there, no trash talk. He's not Bryce Harper. Mariano Rivera doesn't say anything ever. Bernie Williams, Jorge Posada. I mean, the Yankees got more personality eventually, and they weren't as good. You know, they go get Giambi, and they go get Sheffield, and they get... Uh, they get A-Rod. They just weren't as good then. Robinson Cano. They did win a World Series in 09, but when they started having more of those characters, they weren't as good. Efficient and boring was the Patriots. 
but it did work and it did last because it didn't have the problems that other teams had. We get one from uh, Joe up in uh, South Burlington who says, Brady, I agree the Patriots were boring, but I'm happy to see them gone. So now maybe finally my Jets can win the division. The Jets will win the division when they get to Sean Watson and uh, a couple receivers. So there you go, Joe. And now you're still all sending in. You're still sending in Saturday Night Live skits. We've been do- We've had the text line for a month, and the text line has never been more active than it's been with everybody in their Saturday Night Live skits. I can't believe I forgot, by the way, on the best of Will Ferrell, his Harry Carey impression. The staff's looking at me like, who's Harry Carey? Well, Harry Carey is one of the most uh, iconic broadcasters in sports history, everybody who's under the age of 25 in this studio. Um, Harry Carey used to do the White Sox and used to do the Chicago Cubs. And he was old. He had these big glasses on. He had this really iconic voice and this great delivery. And he was easily imitatable. So Will Ferrell used to do this impression of Harry Carey. He'd put on the big glasses, and you've heard him do it. You know, hi everybody, Harry Carey here. And that, like, so that was a an iconic Saturday Night Live skit. Will Ferrell brought it back a bunch of times. But I used to live in North Carolina, and we only got a handful of baseball games. Right, everybody got the Braves because they were on TBS. We also, for some reason, got WGN out of Chicago, and the Cubs were on. So I watched a lot of Cubs games for a small period of time, you know, for two years or whatever, three years. And every I would listen to Harry Carey all the time. And, you know, Carey Wood on the mound. He's got 17 strikeouts. He's just iconic. So uh, we get one in from Neil in Williston who says, Love Harry Carey, grew up in Chicago iconic broadcaster get another one from uh matt up in uh, essex who says love harry carey the skit will ferrell doing harry carey impressions is great remember i used to bob his head so yes yeah, so if you go 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 youtube harry carey and will ferrell it is hilarious so it's the brady farkas show on wdev am and fm and wdev radio.com all right coming up next the latest on Vermont high school sports from the governor's COVID-19 response news conference. I'll tell you how I'm reading the situation now and where I think the administration said something wrong today. Twitter's been all mad at me today for the last couple of hours. I'll defend my position. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas show right here on a Friday, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Mookie getting in on the text line. Follow me on Twitter. Probably wants to see why everyone's all mad at me today. So you can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. You can text into the show again at 585-3026. Okay, Governor's COVID-19 response news conference today. Governor Phil Scott and his team spoke about why there are why the state is not allowing interscholastic competition yet, or even inter-youth competition. You're allowed to practice with your team, and you're allowed to scrimmage within your team, but you are not allowed to play other teams yet. So as we head towards February, people are, I think, naturally worried about the fate of winter sports and the entire season here in the state of Vermont. I feel worse today coming out of the governor's press conference 
than I did the last time we addressed this about two weeks ago. Here was Governor Phil Scott on what they are looking for now that they have allowed practices and scrimmages among teams. Uh, we want to make sure that there's not, there's not any ripple effect from that, negative uh, effect on that. Uh, we're also somewhat watching uh, some of the collegiate sports, uh, as we've seen. Uh, there has been some transmission uh, between uh, players uh, on that level. I'm going to come back to that clip because I'm going to play it again momentarily. I feel worse today because every day that goes by now is the shorter is one day shorter for a potential winter season. I do think we can have a winter sports season. I do I still believe that. But every day that goes by means that it's probably shorter. And the reason why is because I do think there will be spring sports in the state of Vermont. At the high school level especially, I think there will be spring sports, just like there were fall sports. Outdoors, more socially distanced, baseball, softball, more socially distanced. Lacrosse is obviously not socially distanced, but they were able to play uh, field hockey. They were able to play, um, you know, football. So just, you know, if you wear a mask, I would think that being outdoors would make a big difference. So I think we'll have spring sports. So let's just say that they push back the spring sports schedule. Okay. They push it back to accommodate the winter. They go mid-April. Mid-April for, for spring until June 1st. They don't usually like to go deep into June because that's when you have finals week and kids getting out of school. So if you're going to start games mid-April, well, you're going to need probably three to four weeks of practice, at least baseball-wise, to get pitchers ready, et cetera. It's going to take you three, four weeks to do it safely. So that means you got to be practicing by mid-March. If you're practicing by mid-March, that means the winter season needs to be over by March 10th or so it's already February 1st so let's just say you start a season on February 15th which is a Monday that leaves you less than one month to play games and have a championship playoff season if you want to have a championship playoff season or do you just want to play games so again I I think there can be a winter season but every day that goes by the season becomes more compressed and I just think that the season for the spring is probably a mid-April start which means practice has to start mid-March. And if that happens, we're looking at a month-long winter season. Again, you can still do it. At this point, I do think people will take anything, but I was hoping for a longer season. But now first, let's just get a season. I want to go back to the quote again from the governor. Let's see. Uh, Sam up in Essex says, I'd be really surprised if there were a winter season, dot, dot, dot. I think they really want there to be a winter season. And they're watching the data, so I understand that what they want is not necessarily what will happen. But I think that they want a season. They want it for kids. They want it for mental health. They want it for physical health. They want it to – because they know how important it is. They, they clearly do know how important sports are to kids. So I think they want to do it. But, you know, me wanting a month and a half and maybe getting a month, I don't think that's a huge concern to state officials right now. What is concerning to me, okay, and this is what got me in trouble on Twitter from from everybody, and I'll tell you the text that people were sending me or the tweets people were sending me. Governor Phil Scott says, and you're going to hear it in a second, that the college situation, they are monitoring what's happening at Vermont colleges. They see Norwich on shutdown. They see UVM on shutdown. They see Castleton's had delays in the winter. 
they see that UVM women's basketball has pulled out of its season entirely at this point. Now in the America East, UMBC women have pulled out of their season entirely. So the governor says they have seen what is happening at the college level locally, and they are monitoring that and trying to relate it to high school sports. I believe that that is wrong. Here's the governor in his own words again. Uh, we want to make sure that there not, is not any ripple effect from that, negative uh, effect on that. Uh, we're also somewhat watching uh, some of the collegiate sports, uh, as we've seen. Uh, there has been some transmission uh, between uh, players uh, on that level. Okay, he says, we're watching the collegiate scene, and there has been some transmission between players at that level. I do not believe that that is, I believe it's an apples and oranges comparison that should not be made by state officials. And I will preface this by telling everyone honestly, I have been very COVID conscious this entire time, okay? I am not Mr. Open It Up guy. Okay, that is not me. I follow the guidelines. I don't complain about the guidelines. I do as I am told, and I am okay with it. So I am not just trying to flout COVID and say that it's not important. If if the state wants to be conservative because they are genuinely concerned about player safety and student safety, I am 100% behind that. What I am against is using the college data as a way to hold back the high schools. That is the wrong reason to do so because it is an apples and oranges comparison. They see the transmission between athletes at the college level, but what they are failing to realize is that the college situation is far different than the high school situation. Okay, These college students, these college players, they live together, so therefore there's a greater opportunity for transmission. They... Um, have much greater independence and freedom and therefore more of an opportunity to make mistakes that would compromise compromise their whole operation. They're also coming in, in some cases, from other states. You look at Norwich athletes that might be coming back to campus that are arriving from other states and are co- that are COVID hotbeds or that they just acquire. It's not so much that for them, like they're bringing it with them in some cases. The athletes in Vermont are already here where we are hearing that numbers are dwindling. The high school students are much more isolated in their communities. They are not out as much as college students are, and they live at home without other athletes that they can pass it to. Not all the high school students drive, so they have less freedom, less independence, therefore less chances to acquire the virus out. College athletes have a much greater opportunity of acquiring the virus out than high school athletes do. They travel to other states for competition. They travel in from other states in terms of coming back to school. They have cars in a lot of cases. They have freedom to make their own decisions, decisions that can compromise the athletic scene. High school athletes do not have that freedom in most cases. So I feel that comparing the college situations to the high school ones are apples and oranges. Okay. Again, I can, I understand being conservative because you're worried. I've been worried this entire time, but I don't understand. I just believe that the college situation being used as proof of justification here is not right. Alex Abrami, Burlington Free Press, he pointed out to me, he says, state officials today said, There have been some transmission between athletes at the college level. Brady, they want to review the data before making the decision. 
That doesn't seem wrong. Okay. So that was Alex and I are friends, but that was the first tweet that came in disparaging my remarks. Again, I understand that there has been some in-competition transmission or at least inter-team competition, uh, inter-team transmission rather. And I believe that. But comparing the two groups again isn't fair to me because those high school kids are in a much more controlled environment. They live at home. They go to school, and all we've heard about is how safe schools have been. There have been very little cases within schools in general. And and just this week at Williston Central School, it was listed as the first in-school transmission throughout the entire pandemic. So if schools are evidenced as safe environments that are controlled, and these high school kids don't have the freedom outside of school that college athletes have, I do think it's fair to say that they are at less risks to contract the virus in general. Furthermore, under state rules, these athletes, high school ones, have to wear masks. In college, they do not. When we talk about women's basketball at UVM and we talk about men's basketball at UVM, we're talking about maskless games, therefore making it more likely to pass to your teammates and to pass to your opponents. In high school, they are mandated to wear masks while they play. And while it's uncomfortable, it does make it safer. So it's a different set of circumstances for those games. Again, my point here isn't to diminish the virus. My point here isn't to say, just open everything up willy-nilly. My point is to say, find me a different reason to hold back high school athletics than just what happens at the college scene because it's different circumstances. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com, 802-585-3026. Anybody agree or disagree with me? Austin Danforth of the Burlington Free Press. He came on and had a nice dialogue with me on social media. He said, Brady, you said that high school students don't have as much freedom as college students. But, he added... High school students are still exposed to everything their families are exposed to, which could put them at just as much or more risk than those college students you mentioned, depending on maybe what the parents do for a living. That is true, and that is a valid counterpoint, and I told Austin that. But these same kids who are around their parents, they go to school. They go to school, they get sent to school, and schools are considered safe. The main objective of the state is to keep kids in school. So the schools themselves are safe. The schools themselves are safe. It's a controlled environment. And then these players would be wearing masks, and they don't have as much freedom as college students do. They don't, and everybody knows that. Okay, Some of these kids don't drive. They don't live together. So if you're going to say we can't have high school sports yet, that is un- that's fine. I want there to be, but I'll, I will respect the data too. But I don't want what's happened in college and the UVM women's basketball and, men and UVM departments being on pause. I don't want that to be used as justification for holding back high school sports. And that was my point. It was never to diminish the virus. It was always to say what was said today about keeping an eye on college sports and wondering how that relates to high school, I don't think that it does. 
because there's so many differing factors between the two. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, we get Steve in here who's talking about Harry Carey as we get more things on Saturday Night Live. So he says, wasn't Harry uh, Carey famous for singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game at the seventh inning stretch? Yes, he was. And he would go, I won a two, a three. It was Harry Carey was uh, – was classic. So, all right, we do it every single day. Let's get to crazy Twitter takes. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The yeah. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, this one is more of a question. Is this a crazy Twitter take? Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback, talking about the Giants and Deshaun Watson. If I was Dave Gettleman of the New York Giants, I would take Daniel Jones, I would take Saquon Barkley, and I would take three first-round picks and call Houston and not allow them to get off the phone with me. As a general manager in this moment, if you ever were going to take a swing, this is the swing to take. Is this a crazy Twitter take by Orlovsky? Would you trade... Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson if you were the New York Giants. To me, it doesn't sound as crazy as you think when you first hear it. I try to get by with two first-round picks. Trust me. I try to get by with giving away two instead of three. But if you brought in Watson, you wouldn't need Jones. Okay, You would not need Jones. And Barkley, the Giants have essentially played without for two years. He didn't play this year really at all because of the torn ACL. Last year, he had the bum ankle and missed a bunch of games. It wasn't himself even when he did play. So we've, they've played without Saquon Barkley. So they, they could get rid of him. And now he's only got two years left on his deal. The fifth year is about to be expensive. And we know now about not paying running backs, and et cetera. And I'm not going to pay Saquon Barkley huge money at this point probably. So trading Barkley, as much as it would hurt – to trade a former number two overall draft pick, it doesn't bother me as much as as it would have you know a couple of years ago to think about that. So if I could give two first round picks, Jones and and uh, and Barkley, I'd probably do that too. I probably would. I think I love Barkley and I really like Jones, but if I can get Watson and only give up two first round picks, and then give up a quarterback who at that point I wouldn't need anymore who has three years left, so it's good for Houston, and a running back who I don't have, I don't intend on paying anymore at this point, then, yeah, who I don't know what Barkley is coming back from a torn ACL. I bet he comes back fine, but he's been injured now most of his career. So, yeah, I think if I could do it for two first-round picks, I'd be very, very interested in that. question is, would Houston want Jones? You know, the Giants have a pick that is, you know, in the top 15, but do they want Jones? I mean, or, or do they want the Jets' number two pick potentially? Though so that's absolutely what they need to be. You know, that's what Houston needs to be weighing. If I were the Giants, I would definitely, um, I would definitely consider doing it. So, eight oh two five eight five thirty twenty six. When we come back, we'll get to our closing thoughts. Johnny Damon throwing shade at the Red Sox yet again. What is he saying now, and why do I think? He is wrong. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have. 
Closing thoughts, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Johnny Damon infuriated me earlier this week when the former Red Sox star said he considers himself more of a New York Yankee than a Boston Red Sox player. So um, they played, or he played with both teams for four years and played more games with the Red Sox, but again, four years is four years. He was better with the Red Sox. He had more runs scored. He had more hits. He had more doubles. He had more triples. He had less home runs, but he had more RBIs. He stole more bases. I mean, he was a very similar player. His batting average was better with Boston. His on-base percentage was one point more with the Yankees. I mean, he was essentially the same player. By and large, he was essentially the same player with both teams. But Johnny Damon owes his career to the Red Sox. What happened in 04 with the grand slam off, I think it was Javi Vasquez or Kevin Brown. He had a bunch of home runs or a bunch of RBIs in Game 7 of the ALCS in 04. That launched his career. The bunch of idiots launched his career. He was good with the, by the way, one, two, three, four. He was with the Royals for six years. Like I remember Johnny Damon playing with the Kansas City Royals. He got MVP votes playing with the Royals. But nonetheless, um, if you're picking between the Red Sox and Yankees, I would say he should be remembered more as a Red Sox player. The long hair, the beard, the bunch of idiots, the having Manny Ramirez cut off his throw. Like I can't remember anything, even though the numbers were good for Damon in New York. I can't remember anything he did in New York. Okay, They, they did win a World Series there in 09 with him, so he's won a title both places. But every memory I have of Johnny Damon between the two teams – is with the Red Sox. It just seems like more unnecessary shade being thrown at the Red Sox by Damon, and I do not appreciate it for one. So uh, that'll do it for this week's shows. That will do it for today's show. Dinner Jazz is coming up next. Remember, next week, Monday, we start it. Radio Row at home. I don't need to go to Tampa to bring Tampa to you. We're going to bring on great guests all week. Make sure you're subscribing to that Brady Farkas Show podcast page at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. You have no, I, I we don't know who's stopping by yet. We got a bunch already are already uh, locked in. It's only going to continue to grow over the weekend. So all I can tell you, tune in Monday, 5:30 to 7, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com, and go ahead and download the free WDEV Radio app.